This week in our our study on uh, on renovate the the renovation of our hearts, we are um, we're looking at some passages and we're looking at some ideas of how the renovation takes place, uh, what occurs during the renovation, and as we look at this. I want to read a couple of things to you. First, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through uh, 14, and then something from C.S. Lewis. So, And and this, in a way, is the way that God reclaims uh, our lives in such a way to, not just to renovate, but to rebuild. And so, Titus, uh, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So when, when you think about this idea of, of renovation, you're, you're not just doing demolition, but you're building a new life, a new life in Christ. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking down the house about in a way that hurts, abominably hurts, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And so we, we see from, from both what Paul is saying about the renovation, the change, the rebuilding of the life so that, so that you have the ability to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions. You have the ability to live a life that's self-controlled, upright, and that, that is godly in all aspects, that, that God is restoring goodness and godliness to your soul. And, and he's doing it in this present age, Paul says. And, and Paul talks about it this way. He redeems us from the wickedness and he purifies. To redeem something is to give it worth, to give it value and to purify for himself a people who are eager, eager to do what is good. This is, why that, this is why the quote that Lewis is talking about, God is building in your life a palace where he intends to come and live, a palace fit for him. And so we must have a willingness, and this is not, it's not an easy thing, 
but a willingness not only to have the renovation take place, but also a willingness that it be different than we expected. And so one of the things that we have to talk about is the idea of of growth then, all right? So the, the renovation is so that you can grow from a broken down cottage into a palace fit for a king. And when we talk about growth and grace, there are things that you don't need to grow in. There are things that you already have that you have them in the fullness of them. You may not have experienced the fullness yet, but the stake or the claim that you have in Christ will never be greater. You have all of him. All of him has placed his interest, his heart, his life on you. He has bound his future to you so that the very interest that Christ has in you and the interest in a sense that you have in Christ, the investment, the claim that you have in Christ, that will never grow because you have all of him. And therefore, you see, in these areas that are so essential, foundationally, in other words, in Christ, you are safe. There, there, is, there is nowhere you can go that God is not going with you. And this is really important. He has united his presence and and his person to your life. And that's because you have 100% acceptance with God, unconditional acceptance with God in Christ because you have the same acceptance with the Father that Jesus has because you're in Jesus, which, which this leads, this idea of safety and acceptance, it leads to one of the deepest foundational needs that we have, and that is security to know that you'll never lose connection, to know that really and truly, though sometimes you may feel powerless and there are circumstances and situations in which you you can feel like, I can't, I don't have the power to change this, yet even in those circumstances, you are 100% secure. What is meant by this is that you will never be more justified, more pardoned, more forgiven, more at peace with God then from the moment you first believed, he gave you all his pardon. He made you completely acceptable. He forgave you not only your sins of the past, but all your sins. And, and having been justified by faith, Paul says, we have peace with God. That's somewhat different than the peace of God. That, that's a little different, but you are no longer an enemy of God. You are a child of God, a friend of God, a a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus. And so what we're saying is that, that, that these things of your standing with God, the right standing with God, is a finished, perfect, and complete work. And I, I like this thought so much because, you know, growing up in the church, there was always this hierarchy. This is the strongest Christian. This is the weakest Christian. This is the best church member, this is the least, whatever it is. And the idea was often on based on performance, or it could also be based on social standing in our community. And yet in Christ, you see, the, the weakest saint is as completely in right standing with God as the strongest, because the basis of their standing 
is not having anything to do with how weak they are or how strong they are, but rather that they are in Christ. And I love what J.C. Ryle, who's a great writer on holiness, said, I would go to the stake, God helping me, for the glorious truth that in the matter of justification before God, every believer is complete in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are complete in Christ. Now, there is a whole other side then, the renovation side, that where growth must take place, where he's knocking down walls and he's putting up whole new areas of your life. And these are the areas where you don't grow in performance, but you grow in your capacity to live in the grace that you now find yourself in. And, and this living in grace it certainly is something you increase in in terms of the degree of, of God's grace that you're, you're aware of, the degree in which you are, you are actually experiencing has so much to do with you and your ability to, to comprehend the size of his grace, the strength of his grace. And, and then out of that grace to, to find your own, your own strength, your own power being now sourced by what the Holy Spirit has planted in your heart as a believer. And in these areas, you see, it, it, it doesn't start off fully formed. In these areas of grace, there are needs on our part to grow, to progress, to increase. Our capacity must increase. And the areas, and if you look back over your, your Christian life, you realize there, there were things you were reticent about. There were things you, were, you weren't jumping right into. One of the graces of God is repentance. Having the ability to both see the lies, to see the places of wrong, to see the wrong sources that you've relied on, and to turn completely around and to say no more to that to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions. That's the heart of repentance. But, but growth in repentance is not easy for the prideful human heart. And so, so in all of these graces, uh, I, I can look and I, I remember when I first started doing spiritual warfare counseling back in the early 90s. And uh, the only uh, the only curriculum I had, the only only teaching that I had was Neil Anderson and the Bondage Breaker. And I was going through the steps to freedom, and this was my first time to go through the steps of freedom back in 1993. And as I went through them, I remember very distinctly trying to say that there, you know, as I was repenting of things, of trying to say I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. And the reason I was doing that is because I had spiritual pride. I was, I was like, I'm a pastor. I've been a missionary. I have to be a little better at this than other people. So, so I was mistaken in terms of the grace of repentance. Now, in any area of my life, I'm not looking for how, how few things I can confess. I'm looking for how many things I can be free from. And you see, when that's a growth in grace is that you, 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 you begin to find that repentance and the grace, graces that the Holy Spirit gives you become sweet to you. Repentance, faith, hope, 
love, humility, zeal, courage, and the like may be little or great in your life, strong or weak, vigorous or feeble, and they may vary greatly in the same person, and they vary at different periods in our life, but what we have to realize is that we are ever in need of growth in our capacity to live in these glorious graces that have been planted in our heart by the Holy Spirit. I, I, one of the biggest ones, again, is not only the idea of repentance, but the idea of love, of how to make the agape, unconditional love of God the very center of your being. Because you see, every disobedience in your life is actually an issue of the love relationship you have with God. Any area that you are deciding that you're going to meet a need outside of God's provision or apart from God is you saying that place in your heart has not yet been healed by the love of God. Because if it had been healed by the love of God, you would see self-control. You would be able to say no, and you would eagerly do what is good. And so part of it is, is recognizing that it is not about you trying to love God but having the capacity to receive the love of God. And so when we grow in grace, certain things start to happen. A sense of our sin becomes deeper. Our trust, our faith becomes stronger, partly because we faith only grows if you experience stepping out in faith, trusting God. Hope only gets brighter as you grow because you begin to know what to hope in instead of hoping in things that are so changeable. Love becomes more extensive. Not only do you love others more extensively, but you yourself are experiencing the love of God in a very profound way. Spiritual mindedness becomes more a mark of your character, a mark of the way you look at life. And because we're allowing this growth, we're allowing this renovation, the power of godliness in our own heart begins to manifest from the inside out. So here's God's curriculum, plan, agenda for you, that you go from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from grace to grace. Now that can only happen, not because, you see, we've been saying this all along, but it's not about willpower. It's about giving consent to the renovator so that he can rebuild your broken down cottage into a palace. So this is growth in your capacity to live in grace and to experience God's grace moment by moment and day by day. Now, another way to put it, and this this is a little bit of a new way to put it, but it's learning to live in the favor of God. See, some people will talk about the grace of God, but they almost... They almost forget, what is the grace of God? It is that God's favor is with me. God's favor is for me. I live in the favor of God. And what happens to so many of us is we think about how we don't deserve that, which then goes back again to, are you living in grace? Are you living in performance? If you're living in performance, yes, you don't deserve the favor of God. But if you are living in grace, because you are in union with Christ, then the same favor that the Father has for Jesus is the same favor he has for you. And so part of this is is learning to lean into even, even the circumstances, the people in your life. These are part of the curriculum. And then to lean into the leading of the Holy Spirit 
as you face the circumstances and trials in your life. Now, one way to look at this, when you talk about learning to live in the favor of God, is that we don't really see his favor the way the Father sees it or wants to release it in our lives. What we want mostly is him to impart it and it to just be a big event that just uh, simply, you know, a one-time experience that turns everything around. But, but really and truly, the learning to live in the favor of God is a process. So there are moments where you have, you have glimpses or you have, have a grasping of how great the favor of God is. But those are just tasters. See, one person said it this way, the favor of God is a banquet that you, that you learn to live at over the course of your whole life. It's a lifestyle of ever-increasing, ever-expanding renovation, even of your heart's preferences that upgrades our relationship with the very Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united to us and upgrades our relationship in, in, in terms of our status in the kingdom. The development of the favor of God goes hand in hand with learning the art of walking out, working in the truth of who Christ is for us and who we have permission to become in him. Favor is best received as part of a joyful process and enables us to contend against our own negativity and overcome every circumstance of life because we have found favor in the eyes of God. It's the process that the Holy Spirit is taking us through that makes us rich, not just the outcome. So this process is really the story of how we are becoming like Jesus. The favor of God is that the Father is conforming us to the image of Jesus, and he takes us on a journey so that we have the capacity for the fullness and the abundance that is ours in Christ. It's more than just reaching a destination. It's about how we travel, how we live along the way. We have to continually have this experience of the Holy Spirit, or we won't understand how essential the process is in our development. I mean, I think about all of these things about capacity. Um, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he, 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 he teaches you that your desires are too small. He teaches you that, that your way of going through trials is too weak. Like, for example, I, I like to say that when I came to New York in 2004, it was the first time I ever tasted pizza. Now, there was stuff that was called pizza, but when I got here and I, I tasted New York sliced pizza, it was like, wow, what have been, I been missing all my life? So I could have gone my whole life without ever having actually tasted what, what really hits you know, my taste buds as pizza and would have called something else something lesser. You see, you have to have a taste for something. You have to have an experience of something before you have a preference for something. And so many of us, we, we have settled for lesser things 
because that is all we had a taste for. And the Spirit is trying to break through to give us a taste for what will truly satisfy, for what will truly be abundance. And so his curriculum can seem negative if you're not on board. Or his curriculum can seem just right as you lean in. As I face um, the situation that uh, Lisa's cancer has recurred, and every every day she's having to take uh, this chemo. She's in her third round this week, uh, first week of the third round, and 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 the toxins they they accumulate. The the difficulty seems to be uh, harder for her this week because she's she's back on the the chemo drug. And as I face those things, and there are things that we do to to alleviate her symptoms, to alleviate the side effects, but still to watch her be uncomfortable, to see her going through this. And, And in many ways, though I can be here for her and I love to serve her, and there are many ways that we are, you know, we're taking steps and precautions to limit the effects of the side effects, there's still very little that we can do. There's very little that we're in control of. Now, this too, though I don't believe cancer is of God, I do not believe, I do not believe um, for a minute that the Lord is, is less about healing her right now, but right now he, we are in this process. And the, and, the, and the question is, will I lean in to the Holy Spirit or will I try to distract myself, comfort myself, soothe myself, in ways that are illegitimate. And it's very, very difficult to stay in focused, concentrating, believing, trusting that the Spirit of God will not just give us comfort, but rather will give us courage to face what, what we're going through. And at the same time, to use this circumstance to take those graces that he's planted in our hearts and to bring a harvest of those graces so that we can say no to ungodliness. We can say no to worldly passions. We can say yes to self-control, which means leaning in, not trying to get out. And, and recognizing there are times and circumstances where the outcome is uncertainty. Wouldn't I love an event? I would love an event that this is over. But... What I'm learning is, is, is what I'm sharing with you is that life is a banquet, that those moments, those moments of breakthrough are just tasters of all the favor that God has for me, for Lisa, for you. And so as I, as I was looking at this idea of growth and, and thinking through where is it that the Spirit puts his finger on to say that wall has to come down or that wing needs to be a new wing needs to be built there, a whole new story, whatever it might be. And I realized that that where mostly we get tripped up are in these hungers of the heart. And uh, many people many people in secular leadership, others, they say that there are three. It's power, it's finances, it's sex. And so you begin to realize that in some ways, the power part plays in all of them the thought of 
I want to be so powerful that I'm completely in control of my life, my circumstances, the people in my life, the outcomes in my life. And, and leaning into the Holy Spirit is actually to surrender control, surrender the power, and lean into the heart of God for you. And one of, the, one of the places we wanted to look at this week is specifically how God uses finances to show us where the renovation has to occur. I've seen people who, who have, uh, in many ways, they're, they're very, uh, you know, they're very conscientious about being moral, being very conscientious about being disciplined, and yet in areas of finances, often very... Um, trusting in their money or their job or their position and not knowing how to surrender that to the Lord. And then I've seen others who have utterly no discipline anywhere. And so their finances are the area in which they are falling into the greatest hardship. And I I find Pastor Tony Evans's words about how finances enslave us so important. He says, Far too many people today live their lives paying for the past rather than planning for the future. Financial insecurity and debt have become a crisis, not only for individuals and families, but similarly for our nation and the world. And I like his definition of illegitimate debt. Illegitimate debt refers to having more bills than money to service the debt due to greed, lack of contentment, poor financial planning, or ignorance of God's plan for handling our finances. It means having bills that you cannot pay because of your foolish decisions. If you're regularly past due on debt, then something needs to be corrected. And so really what we're saying is this area of finances can reveal a place where the heart needs healing. It's not simply a question of getting more money. It's not simply a question of of uh, having a better job, but it's actually a question of renovating the heart. I found this to be true um, in, uh, I think it was in 2007. So I had been in New York from 2004 to 2007. I told the story on Sunday, but, but between that time, everything that could go wrong financially seemed to go wrong. Um, uh, things were, were not good at the church. I had no, uh, though I'd been promised a retirement uh, package. There was no retirement money because the church didn't have the money to pay it. There were times when even my paycheck bounce would cause all kinds of trouble uh, for Lisa and me. So by about 2007, it just I had ex- you know I had exhausted my own savings living here. We had gone into credit card debt. I added it all up, and it was a scary number. And I was driving down the road, going to the office at church, saying, "God." You've got to give me this amount to get me out of debt. And I clearly, one of those moments you clearly heard this Holy Spirit said, no, I'm not, going to get, I'm not going to give you that money. But then just as clearly he said, but I am going to lead you out of debt, but you will have to lean in and you'll have to follow me. And, and it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted an event. <laughs> I wanted an event that would cancel out the debt. But as I look at it now and I see the Holy Spirit's curriculum, I see the Holy Spirit's strategy, what he was saying is, if I just give you the money, it won't change the patterns where you have not been dependent on me as your source and me as the one that you spend money on, uh, you know, that, that 
you're leaning on your own understanding when you spend the money. And so in the course of the next three years, not only did the Lord lead Lisa and me out of debt and give us breakthroughs, but he was also led us to be able to buy a house and he, and he, he gave us the down payment in a pretty miraculous way. So even though he was showing me the process of life as a banquet, he was also showing me how he could in a moment do everything I needed him to do, that he was utterly and completely trustworthy. Listen what the psalmist says. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging bread. They're ever giving liberally and lending and their children become a blessing. This is, this is the will of the Lord for us is that we are able to give liberally, we're able to lend, not just be those who are in debt, and that we're able to give to our children a legacy. So the the challenge that I asked of our church on Sunday, and I, I ask it again today, is I ask you to think about the three words that turn around your finances. The one is give, the second is spend, and the third is to save. But today I want to focus or finish on giving. What I found is that when I, all I did was say, God, give me the money I need, I, 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 I became demanding of God and I treated God as if he were my assistant instead of that he's my God. And so what I, what I learned to do from an older saint is he, I needed a breakthrough. And this older saint said, Mike, if you need a breakthrough, here's what you do. You, you set aside a time. I'm asking you to set aside a week where all you do is praise and thank God instead of begging God for the money. Then he said, now take something that really matters to you, something that has value to you, and give it away to somebody else who needs it. And then he said, find a financial need that somebody that you know has Meet that need, but don't let them know that you've done it. And then he also said, give give an offering, whatever that might be. It doesn't even have to be financial, but something, something meaningful, give to the Lord. One of the, one of the hardest things is, is, is to have the trust in the Lord that says, I can live on less than 100% because I trust the Lord. See, when we trust only in the gold and we trust only in our jobs and we trust only in our own, our own ability to earn, then even 100% is not enough. But when you say, Lord, I can live on less than 100%. Many Christians over the years have decided they're going to live on 90%. Others have said, I will live on less. But in, in the kingdom economics, somehow... When you're trusting God with the 10% or you're trusting God with more than the 10%, what happens is God does more than you can ask, think, or imagine. See, the, the, the steps that I just told you, praise God for his provision. Don't ask, praise. Thank him for his provision. Fast from asking. Give something that matters because you're saying, I'm organizing my heart around my true treasure. Jesus, you're my true treasure. Give something to someone that meets a need that says, I, I'll be a conduit. I'll be a channel of blessing. Then make sure that your money is an area in which you say, in this, 
I'm renovated so that I can be a palace for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey, will you, will you think about this with me? In Jesus' name, amen.